All right, everybody, welcome to the Mindful Hunter podcast, episode number 15. I am your host, as always, Jay Nickel. So we're going to be doing something rather experimental this episode, and I'm going to be doing a semi-live recording of my entire goat hunt. So basically, I have this kind of portable recorder with a lav mic, like a little lapel mic on it, that I can break out a few times a day and basically give play-by-play updates with how the day is going. For instance, right now it is 7.40 p.m. on Saturday night. I left Vancouver three and a half hours ago and about halfway to where I'm trying to get tonight. So let me give you some kind of context and background and basically what the purpose of this podcast is. I get a lot of questions about kind of the psychology of of solo hunting and other kind of elements of, of going, especially on like long distance trips. And I find it's one of those things you can reflect back upon it, but it never really seems to capture the detail. Uh, at least that's what it feels like to me when I'm trying to relay what the experience was like. It always seems to be kind of lacking and I leave out some details or forget what it was really like. And so I thought this kind of on the fly semi-live podcast would be a better kind of vehicle to capture the intricacies and the nuance of the hunt. The hunting films are great, but you're always kind of fighting the clock. You can't really have an infinite hunting film. People would get kind of bored because you got to be sitting in front of a TV and or, or, or your laptop and, and watching it. Whereas a podcast, I think is really the ideal format for these kind of like long, sprawling, introspective explorations because you could listen to it for a little bit on the way to work or while you're on a walk or doing cardio and it doesn't really matter if it kind of tends to drag on a little bit because I I think that's the ideal way to approach a podcast. You shouldn't really be worrying about the length of it. You should be worrying about the quality of the content and as long as it's engaging and interesting, then who really fucking cares? You know, Rogan was the guy who really set the bar for this, started doing three hour podcasts and everybody, you know, loved them. So then everybody else realized, well, we don't really need a kind of length on this thing. So that being said, I don't know, man, this could fucking suck or it could be great. So I'm really hoping that I can get some feedback from from you guys. If you like this style of thing, I will do it more on more of my hunts. If you liked parts of it, but other parts of it were shit, you know, let me know and I'll I'll kind of adjust it moving forward. Um, yeah, so as usual, deeply appreciate likes, comments, shares and subscribes on your platform of choice. And if you need to get a hold of me, Instagram, mindful underscore hunter, email j at mindfulhunter.com, YouTube, mindful underscore hunter. Any of those will work. So why don't I start with a little background about what exactly I'm on my way to go do and why I'm on my way to go do it. And to do that, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit and kind of jump into my September elk hunt of last year in 2020. So, I took a partner on, on, on my elk hunt for the first time in a very long time, uh, a buddy named Dylan, awesome guy, we really got along well, 
We never even got in one fight. There was one like little five minute moment of friction that was just because we're both kind of tired and hangry from a, from a long day and a big hike and blew over in, you know, less than a couple of minutes and we were, you know, good friends again. So to be able to go into the bush with a guy for that long and, and, and not even have a single blow up, I think is a testament itself. Unfortunately, he, he blew out his knee maybe four or five days into the hunt. I think the real problem started even earlier than that, but he kind of toughed it out and did the best he could, but eventually he had to pull out. And by the, by the time it was clear that he was just gonna pull out for the rest of the hunt, I had four days left to hunt. So I decided I was just gonna go balls out. I tried all these like, kind of two, three day areas where you could kind of get in, have a quick look and and get back out. And I just, I wasn't turning anything up. Part of that had to do with pressure in the area. Um, Part of it had to do with, I think the long-term hunting patterns in that area have just pushed elk really deep. And there's so many guys on horseback with rifles that being on foot with a bow is just a really tough hunt. So I decided, I knew where this one horse trail was that fucking went forever. And I was like, fuck this. It's just going to be a, a, a Hail Mary solo mission. I'm going to go as deep as I possibly can for basically two straight days and just pound it out and then turn around and walk a different route on the way back and essentially do a big giant semicircle. Because I also had the luxury that Dylan was gonna come pick me up so I could message him with the inReach and I wasn't gonna be limited to, to having to get back to the same place where I dropped off. So I was essentially gonna do this big crescent. And it was close to the evening of the first day when it kind of dawned on me. And it was, it's not the first time I've had this kind of epiphany or revelation, but it's like, it hit me. I'm not a great hunter, I'm an okay hunter. But I am like a really great adventurer. I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. Like what I'm really good at is picking shit on a map that is insanely far away, loading up a backpack by myself and just fucking giving her. And it, that doesn't really intimidate me. I don't really feel lonely for the most part. Like that's a very enjoyable experience for me. And I realized with the Mindful Hunter and what I'm trying to do, you know, put out videos and podcasts and kind of share my somewhat introspective experience of of hunting, that where I really have a competitive advantage in this whole space is these kind of more grueling kind of backcountry adventures, especially living in British Columbia. We've got a lot of opportunity for over-the-counter tags. And here's the deal, if you're not really getting a lot of action, like you're not in animals every day, most hunts are really fucking boring. Like not a whole lot happens, especially on the kind of easier, like if it's a truck hunt or even an elk bivy hunt, like if you're just going in, you know, 10 miles over a couple of days and bugling your face off and not much happens and you go back to the truck and you rinse and repeat, There's, without a kill or without multiple animal interactions, there's not much of a story. And it occurred to me 
because there was a story with this last four days of the elk hunt. I did end up running into some mountain caribou. That was kind of cool. But there was this, this challenge. I don't know how many of you, you know, studied literature in, in university or they probably even cover this in high school now that I think about it. But there's essentially in literature, you can kind of have three challenges. You have man against nature, man against man, or man against himself. And I apologize for all the women listening. There's probably one of you. This same you know, pattern holds true for, for women. It's individual against nature, individual against another individual, or individual against self. And if you can look at all literature and any type of conflict or challenge, there will always be one or more of those three. It's kind of like a all-encompassing framework. And I realized when I was when I was going on this like kind of deep fuck off Hail Mary mission that it's kind of all three. Like it's the perfect challenge plot, okay? So you have man against nature because it's it's you by yourself looking for the animal. You have man against man because it's an open season and especially in an area where it's an over-the-counter tag. Like anybody else could be there. So you have this other hunting pressure that's also a challenge. And now, because you've decided to go so deep and by yourself, you also have man against himself. So it's like this beautiful kind of triumvirate of challenge. And as Renella says, the story makes its own gravy. So I kind of had this epiphany that like, that's what I wanted mindful hunter hunts to be. Like when I made videos or when I told stories, I wanted to take on challenges that I thought were exciting and engaging, even if nothing got killed. And even if I wasn't even able to find a fucking animal, the very, I would take on challenges that were so audacious, they would be engaging in themselves. Like just me going where I was going by myself was gonna be an interesting story to tell because it ticked these three boxes you know, nature, man, and self. And so literally I came up with the idea for this hunt while I was on that elk hunt. This, the secondary reason I came up with the idea for this hunt is that typically in January, for the last, the third week of January, I go down to Arizona and I bow hunt coos deer. I love it, I go down every year, I hunt with my buddy Tim's outfit, Arizona Trophy Outfitters. I have a fucking awesome time. It's really the only hunt out of the year that I do with other people in like a typical, you know, hunt camp style environment. Love it. Love the guys. Awesome time. But I knew already COVID was just in such a way in September. I was like, it ain't happening in January. Like I just, so I was like, I got it. And I know I can't go more than three or four months without a hunt. Um, I just, I start going squirrely. I gotta figure out something. And the big window for me to fill is January because kind of like the over-the-counter hunts kind of run out in BC, October, November. There's some opportunities in December, but nothing close to me. And then Spring Bear really kicks off in May, June. So this whole like January through March is kind of the dead zone. And I'd heard about this over-the-counter goat hunt that was open until the end of February. And I'd seen some video of like groups of guys 
doing it before. And it checked all those boxes. Like it, it intimidated me as a hunt. Like it was outside of my comfort zone. It was gonna take me to a place where I'd never gone before. And I don't mean that just literally, we'll get into more details in a moment here, but even the, it was gonna take me to a place psychologically and physically where I'd never been before because I'd never done a hunt that long, that alone in conditions like that. So right on that hunt, I decided that's what I'm doing. That A, Mindful Hunter is gonna be about extremely challenging hunts. Don't get me wrong. There's still gonna be some fun hunts. Like I'm gonna go up to Landers and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bow hunt bears in the spring. And that's like, there is no other funner hunt on the planet. Like it is fucking awesome. You stay in his house every night, you're eating off the Traeger. You don't even really go out and hunt until like four or five in the afternoon because with the patterns of the bears, it just doesn't make any sense. You're driving around logging roads and doing like little hikes. Like it, it's just a blast. It's easy physically. There's bears all over the place. So I'm still doing shit like that. But the bread and butter of what Mindful Hunter is all about is gonna be these these more kind of hardcore, audacious hunts, where to be honest with you, the likelihood of success drops off pretty radically, if only because so much of the hunt is different than what I'm used to. It's like, not only do I gotta find an animal, I gotta figure out how to do winter camping or whatever the fuck the, this particular hunt happens to be. So that was the epiphany. And then B, I was like, more specifically, I'm gonna go do, um, that goat hunt because in the calendar it fits in perfectly and it checks all the other boxes so once I actually made that decision then it was then it was like a little overwhelming because there was a lot of things that I kind of had to take care of or think of so I to put things in context I have worked extensively in the winter as a layout engineer so I snowshoed tons I've done lots of winter layout. I've had, you know, hundreds of days that were sub minus 20 degrees Celsius where we took a sled into work and I was walking around in the forest all day with no shelter, no place to warm up. I'm super comfortable doing that, not intimidated. But I've never legitimately winter camped in my life. I've done some late season camping. I did a elk hunt in Wyoming in late October, early October, early October, but it got super cold very early in the season. So we had snow every day, you know, temperatures in the negatives, frozen boots every morning, like it was cold. So, but when I say snow every morning, it was like an inch or two, like it was, there was no snowshoes, there was no crampons. So I'm gonna call that borderline, like that's not real winter camping, that's just like, you know, elk hunting and it happens to snow. That's, those are two very different things. So I'd never done winter camping before. I'd never done goat hunting before. Um, and I'd certainly never been alone in the mountains for this long in the winter time. So that was something else that was gonna be a new challenge for me. That being said, I was super excited because, it, because of what it was gonna, you know, because of all the elements that I've already discussed earlier on, like what it actually brought to the table was very exciting for me. And I don't need to go into all the details here. Essentially, 
I then did what I do. I just started researching like a madman. Tried to find anybody who'd done the hunt before, scoured forums looking for people who'd posted about the hunt before, tried to find any YouTube videos um, I could find, reached out to my circle to see who they knew. Um, I was really fortunate that I was kind of connected to a few people who had done almost this exact hunt before. So I was able to get people on a phone and be like, you know, what should I expect? What's it gonna be like? Ask them gear questions, all that kind of stuff. All right, so here's a prime example of how this podcast is gonna go. Like I said, I've already been driving for three and a half, four hours and I'm hungry. So just stopped, grab a burger at a and I'm gonna chill out here, um, walk around outside the truck for a while. My one hamstring always cramps up my, my gas pedal leg, my right leg. And I'm trying a new thing where I actually brought a lacrosse ball and I'm kind of sitting on it um, with my right kind of glute hamstring tie in and putting pressure on it. And it's helping a lot, but still at least once every three to four hours, I need to stop and kind of walk around for two or three minutes and, and stretch it all out. My old age is starting to set in. So there's kind of the intro. This is why we're doing this goat hunt. I'm gonna have some food, gonna keep on driving. And the next time something interesting occurs to me to talk about, we'll continue on the podcast. All right, it is now 9.30 on Saturday night. Been driving for about five and a half hours. Got another hour to go to hit Williams Lake. And that's where I'm gonna pass out tonight. Um, this is part of the reason that I wanted to try and do this podcast. Like, driving alone down a highway in the middle of the night, you know, a snow-covered highway, there's an element of solitude or like a feeling of solitude. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. One of the things that I find really weird about doing these hunts that are a really far driveway, actually, let's hold that thought for a second. Let's talk about travel strategy. It infuriates me that I have to lose sometimes upwards of a day and a half on the beginning and a day and a half on the end, you know, three days total, just getting to and getting home from a hunt because those are days that either could be spent at home, working or with my family or actually hunting. So I, I've tried to be as efficient as possible with my travel and let's use tonight as an example, or this trip as an example. So it's about 17 hours straight from where I live to Stewart, British Columbia. And by the time you chuck in some food breaks and whatnot, that's easily gonna turn into 18 or 19 hours, which is too much to do in a single day by yourself. Like a 12 to 14 hour drive, I can pound out in a single day by myself, no problem. I drove down to New Mexico solo. That took me 36 hours straight. And that includes a couple of, a couple of naps. And I, like I had a good one for like four hours. Uh, but I did the whole thing basically straight in one shot. And that was fucking terrible. Like you're just beating the shit out of yourself kind of physically and psychologically like you're not meant to sit 
in an upright position for 36 straight hours. Your body just hates it. Um, so I've kind of recognized that by myself, 12 to 14 is as much as I can do in a single day. So recognizing that, I had a couple of different options. And the most efficient option was to leave at four o'clock at night on the Saturday, drive five or six hours, wake up Sunday morning and do the rest as a 12 hour day, get to the hotel at Stewart for like six or seven at night, get a really good night's sleep and wake up and hunt fresh Monday morning. The reason I like this strategy is that you're really only losing a day because Saturday evening, like my wife doesn't mind me leaving after four or five o'clock at night because basically my, the day has been spent with my daughter by that point. And she, you know, the evenings are, are pretty easy. We normally like watch a movie or play some games or you got to eat dinner, which takes a little bit and it's the weekend. So she's probably gonna maybe even take her out for dinner or give her some, you know, a nice dessert or something like that. So it's like taking care of the kid is easy after about four or five. So if I'm home for the difficult part of the day, she doesn't mind if I knock off a bit early. So by knocking off that six hours as part of the first evening, I don't real. it does not really costing me half a day. It's almost like free time, if you will. So in essence, I've been able to just lose the one full day, which is, which is the Sunday. So it kind of made the best of a bad situation. But let's get back to the kind of odd sensation of really long drives to hunts. I don't know what it is. I remember reading this novel by William Gibson. I can't remember which story it was, but he talks about jet lag being the sensation of waiting for your soul to catch back up with you after you've traveled, you know, a far distance. And maybe that maybe it's something as, as esoteric as that. I don't know, but I know this, when I get into a car, and shut the door and drive a really long distance by myself and talk to no one else and just listen to music and podcasts, when I get to the other end of that drive and step out, it feels fucking weird. It, it, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it. It just feels like you're in a, I mean, obviously you're in a different spot. I don't know, I'm doing a shitty job at explaining this, but if you guys have ever done this before, you'll know what I mean. And I like it. It's cause it's, you, it gives you this like feeling of separation from home. Like you're clearly in a different spot, you know? And it, yeah, it's different than just hunting three or four hours from home. Like I keep coming back to this term adventure hunting and I don't know, maybe it's a shitty term or maybe it's a great term, but I almost think like one of the qualifications for a true adventure hunt is that the travel to get there has to be challenging in some way. You could do that through flights. Like I've gone down to Texas and there was a couple layovers and it was like, you know, like here, let me give you an example. Going to Arizona kind of doesn't count for an adventure hunt when I'm, when I'm going with my buddy's outfitting company because it's like a three hour flight. Like it's, it's super easy. You go from one airport to another airport, costs you 150 bucks. Your buddy picks you up when you get there, drives you to a nice hunt camp where dinner's ready for you. Not an adventure hunt. Super fun, cool as fuck, not an adventure hunt. 
driving from Vancouver to Stewart, British Columbia over in a day and a half and covering, you know, 1,200 miles and driving for over 18 hours across the span of two days. Now that's fucking adventure hunt territory. That's, that's challenging. Like that's a difficult thing to do physically and psychologically. So it, it kind of brings the hunt up to a different caliber. Anyways, I'm kind of ranting about that whole adventure hunt thing. But this is the part of the evening when it starts to get like kind of cool, but kind of shitty at the same time. Like my ass is sore from sitting in the chair. My hamstring's really tight. I keep rolling it out with a lacrosse ball, but there's not much I can do. You're finding it difficult to be comfortable. It's like, you're not really hungry, but you want to stop for snacks because you're bored and you're sick of listening to podcasts, but you don't want to listen to music. Like there's an element of restlessness that sets in around hour five or six. And it doesn't even really limited to hour five or six. It can be at any point in time. But meanwhile, that's coupled with this like intense feeling of solitude as you as you go down the highway. And I think it's more than just that. Like, it's because the world, when you're driving down a dark highway, is limited to the area that you can see with your headlights. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, the world feels very small. And, and that's just an interesting, it feels like the world is small and there's no one else in it but you. And that kind of sense, I don't know, it's just a very interesting, it's a trip, man. Um, and I love it. I love really long road trips. As much of a pain in the ass as they are, um, I like them a lot. I look forward to them. I like having all my podcasts ready to go, thinking about what music I'm gonna play, even where I'm gonna stop for coffee. I love that shit. So it's nighttime and we're driving and we're gonna keep on driving for another, looking at the map here, maybe 40 minutes, get to Williams Lake, pass out, wake up, do some more driving. All right, that's it for now. All right, welcome to the morning of day two, boys and girls. So I made it to Williams Lake last night, crashed in a hotel there, pro tip, I always look for motels. Uh, normally I have so much stuff in my truck that unloading it all into the room is kind of unlikely and I don't like my truck being far away from my room, especially when you're on a hunting trip. Like nothing's ever happened to me, but if something did happen, that would just destroy your entire trip. So normally I try and find a motel where I can park like back in right in front of my room and that makes me feel a little more safe Last night there was no motels available in Williams Lake, so I just had to stay in a hotel. Luckily, um, I packed pretty light for this trip, knowing I wasn't gonna be sleeping in the truck or anything, so I hauled everything into the room with me. I almost left some stuff in the truck, and then last minute I was just like, it was stressing me out, so I just brought it all in. It was only two trips, not a big, not a big deal. It's funny, I kind of vaguely remember going on a rant about dark, solitude-filled highways last night. I wonder how much fucking sense this podcast is even going to make or if I listen to it when I'm editing it and decide to not even release it because I sound like a fucking lunatic. Anyways, 
onwards we must go. So the goal for the day, obviously, is to hit Stewart. Should be about a 12-hour drive. Um, weather's looking pretty decent. Highways have been really good so far. A um, little bit of snow here and there, but other than that, pretty clear. No real ice. Uh, there was rain as I was leaving, kind of through the valley last night, but it cleared up by the time I got past Boston Bar, so it's pretty, been a pretty good trip so far. Need a couple of little things. I'm gonna stop at a drugstore in Prince George. Other than that, should just be a clear shot. This is always a really interesting drive for me. So I used to live in Quinnell for about exactly a year. Um, so I've done this drive a lot. And then about two or three years after I left, I spent about a year, year and a half doing subcontracting work for Hydro doing vegetation management and a lot of it was up in this neck of the woods so I, I've probably driven this stretch of highway no less than a hundred times so it's like a very comfortable drive for me that being said I've only been, been past Prince George to the west one trip before that trip where I did some work in Smithers and Terrace uh, so th this will be kind of new once I get to Prince George. Obviously, I did about the most Canadian thing you can do. Uh, when I woke up, I went to Tim Hortons and <laughs> got myself a coffee and a bacon and egg sandwich. It's the right way to start the day on a, on a cold Canadian morning on a good road trip. That was delicious. Interesting fact, they've started, they switched the way they make those sandwiches now. They're uh, actually cracking fresh eggs instead of that like preheated rubbery stuff you can taste the difference it was a nicer sandwich for sure my only real beef with the with the English muffins well my only real beef with anything toasted really at Tim Hortons is that nothing comes out fucking toasted they put it through that little machine and it goes through so fast you get like a warm English muffin or a warm bagel but I think the the pro tip there is you got to ask them to put it through the machine twice and then you get a kind of quasi-toasted English muffin. Anyways, I will continue to check in as things occur to me to talk about or anything interesting occurs. All right, until next time. All right, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I've been driving straight since six o'clock this morning. And I just turned off onto the highway that leads up to Stewart. And I've never been down this road before. And I was kind of just like cruising along. I wouldn't say I was like overly excited, just kind of doing the thing, you know, putting in the miles, listening to some tunes, like just chilling, not in a bad mood, not in a good mood, just fucking hanging out. The moment I turned onto a piece of road that I'd never been on, before I immediately start smiling. Like it, there's just something about new country. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I understand these guys who go back to the same spots year after year and hunt target bucks. I mean, I, I get it. I, I would like to do some of that too, but I, I think I would find it impossible to not at least spend a large percentage of my year looking for new stuff. Like I like going to new spots. Um, in, in my years of hunting, I've never actually gone back 
to the same area where I've killed an animal to try and kill another animal. I've always felt like, okay, that's area, that's that area taken care of. Let's go find another adventure somewhere else now. Now, I think that has a lot to do with where I live. If I happen to be in an area that had particularly good hunting close by, I think I would probably do a lot more of that style hunting, but because I have to travel anyways, it's like, wow, might as well go travel someplace new instead of going to places that I've, that I've already been. Overall, the trip's gone pretty good today. Weather's been decent, much warmer than expected. In fact, to the point that I'm a little concerned, um, it's been raining off and on for the last three or four hours, not nearly as much snow as I thought. Now, I have been driving basically due west ever since Prince George. So I am on the same latitude as Prince George. Now that I've taken a right to head up to Stewart, I will essentially be going straight north, kind of maybe a little northwest for the next 210 kilometers, the next two and a half hours or so driving. So it's possible that it's been somewhat colder and, and more of the snow is stuck around in Stewart. I'm looking at the, the outlook for the weather and it's supposed to get back down below minus five tomorrow. So there should be no more rain. The reason that it concerns me is that having it go from very cold to kind of warm to very cold to kind of warm is gonna greatly increase my avalanche potential in the area because basically the snowpack would harden up and then fresh snow would fall on top of the hard pack and then that could slough off. And it's not like one contiguous layer of snow. It's like little, you know, almost like layer cake, uh, like little layers of snow on top of each other. The other reason is it's just a son of a bitch to walk through. Like some of the worst snow to walk through in the world on snowshoes is snow that has a hard crust on top but not hard enough to support your weight. And that's what a little warm spell will do. Like the top one to three inches will melt, then it'll get cold again. That will kind of freeze into this like snowy ice kind of substance. You'll punch through that, which is annoying in itself. And then when you go to pull your snowshoes back out, you kind of got to kick through it. I hate it. Um, so that's the other, the two main reasons. One, I don't want to die in an avalanche. And two, I don't want to have to go through the pain in the ass of, of, of shitty snow conditions. Um, so that's, the, that's what concerns me about the weather. However, it does look like some of the snow that was in the forecast has kind of thinned out as well. It looks to be like Tuesday and Friday are basically no snow days. And the other days have about 10 to 15 centimeters. And as I was mentioning earlier, I don't really mind the snow so much as long as it doesn't have heavy fog with it or it's not that the, the snow is not so heavy or the flurries aren't so strong that I can't even glass. That would be unfortunate. But like, a, you know, a, a regular snowfall, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. It doesn't really fuck up my hunt in any way, shape or form. Okay, so yeah, about two and a half hours to go and I'll be Stuart, even Stuart, made really good time. Goal is to get to town for six o'clock. Gotta spend an hour in the hotel, just like kind of fine tuning my gear, giving a couple of the batteries one last final charge, setting up a little couple pieces of equipment, 
like, you know, putting some electrical tape on the barrel of my gun and, you know, and like just little tidbits like that, I got to clean up and then hopefully go out for a nice big meal. I don't think there's a whole lot open in Stewart this time of year. So I've heard there's at least one restaurant and I think it's in the hotel that I'm staying at. So at least it's convenient. Um, yeah, get a really big meal in and then get a good night's sleep. I'm not going to wake up crazy early. Like, well, for me, it was light out this morning. It was still dark at six. I'll see what sunrise is. I really don't see a purpose in getting to the trailhead much before sunrise, maybe getting there 20 minutes before sunrise so I can get my gear on, get the truck, lo truck locked up and just kind of get headed down the trail as the sun starts to come up. But it's not like deer or elk where I'm like trying to catch goats moving at first light. That's not really a, an element of their behavior that I'm concerned with. And because it's such a new area, like I don't know, there might be goats an hour walk from where I parked the truck. And if I'm walking in the dark, I could blow them out. I could walk right past them, could not even see them. So um, yeah, that's going to be the game plan. Get to bed in good time, wake up maybe six o'clock, get to the trailhead for seven, start hiking in for quarter after seven. That's the game plan now. All right. It's about 4.30 and I got maybe an hour left to get into Stewart. And I'm going to do my best to try and describe the piece of road I've been driving down for the last couple hours. Starts out as like a pretty normal highway. And I'm sure in the summer, this is a, a pretty decent road. Most of the snow had been melted at the beginning. My God, these mountains are fucking crazy looking. So yeah, so that's the other thing. So kind of flat, kind of normal, good clean highway at the beginning. And then like the farther you drive down this thing, for starters, I've been driving for two hours and I've seen two other vehicles the entire time. Like this is some desolate ass shit. So the further you go up this thing, the higher the snowbanks get on the side and the closer the snowbanks kind of encroach upon the road until you almost feel like you're driving down a tunnel and there's like pretty deep ruts of snow, kind of half melty, half slushy, pretty fucking dangerous <laughs> like surface, you know, on top of the pavement because I'm sure the snow has melted a couple times. And every now and then you'll see a little road that like kicks off into God knows where. Sometimes it's plowed, sometimes it's not. There is zero like physical structures on this road. Like once you turn off at Kitawanga, that's the last stop for gas, there's nothing until you hit Stewart. Like three hours or 300 kilometers of just road and trees. So now I've been driving down this thing for like two hours, two hours, 15 minutes. And the landscape is none too impressive at the beginning. Like it's pretty normal stuff. But then you start to catch glimpses of these crazy snow-capped mountains kind of off in the distance. Now there's a rig pulled over on the side of the road no one in it, just hazards 
Fuck, man. This is like the ideal circumstances for some kind of fucked up horror movie. I swear to God. So you start seeing these snow-capped mountains off in the distance. And you can see like swirls of snow kind of blowing over the top. Like they look like kind of curved dunes of, of snow. And they're just like pure white, super cliffy. And I'm like, glad I'm not going to those crazy fucking things. Then I look on my map and I'm basically looking at the back side of exactly where I'm going. So I will be going into those mountains, but I'm gonna drive around them into Stewart and then come into them from the other side. Okay, so I just hit the first gas station and there's like an intersection. The Alaskan Highway, I'm assuming Deese Lake is to the right and then Stewart is to the left. And the road gets Eh, stays kind of the same. Looks like it was plowed more recently, but uh, you definitely can't see any pavement. It has been sanded in the last couple of days, which is nice. But like the snowbanks are way over the roof of my truck. Like it's legitimate Arctic type shit. Yeah, I don't know if I've done a good job of kind of conveying and I like, I should put this in context. I've lived in some pretty remote locations and I've done forestry in a lot of places kind of across British Columbia that were pretty far out there. So it's not like the first time I've driven down a kind of lonely winter road, but I don't know, just the combination, I guess. I think your mind also knows how far north you are. Like Stuart is right on the border of Alaska. You're right on the coast. Like it's, it's pretty remote, man. Like. Yeah, somebody texted me on Instagram when I posted I was coming up here, like on that question thing I threw up. And it's like, oh, my hometown. And like, the whole time up here, I'm just trying to imagine like, what the fuck was it like growing up in Stewart, British Columbia? Like, fuck man, I've lived in some shitholes. And I'm not saying Stewart's a shithole, it's probably a very nice place, it's probably super cool. But like, when you're a kid, man, can you imagine that? Like. It's not even like you can drive someplace. It's not like Prince George is an hour down the road or something. Like, yeah, you're a good eight, nine hours from Prince George up here. I don't even know how you'd go anywhere. I guess you would drive back to Smithers. I think maybe Pacific Coastal flies to Smithers. I don't know, Prince Rupert. You could fly out of Prince Rupert. Anyways, it's starting to kick in now. Like that, like, the butterflies in the stomach, the kind of sweaty palms, like, yeah, I can feel it. Like, I'm going in the mountains tomorrow. I'm starting to like feel the nerves about it. I'm looking inside these trees and thinking, it's gonna look just like that tomorrow morning when I get out of the truck and start walking through the woods. Like, I can picture it, I can feel it, and it's right around the corner. All right, looks like I got about another 45 minutes to Stewart, so I'm gonna pay attention to what I'm doing and try and not drive off the road while I'm staring at these fucked up mountains. So we've had a relatively interesting turn of events. I was about a half an hour outside of Stewart and I come up and there's like seven or eight cars all parked and no one's moving. Looks like the road's closed. 
at first I thought it was like a roadblock. And I was like, my first thought was like COVID or something weird like that. But then it turns out they've been doing avalanche blasting on that last little section of road. And one guy's been sitting here since eight o'clock in the morning. So we sat there for maybe an hour and a half. And then they finally opened the road up and we basically were given instructions to go through single file, follow one of the highway trucks. And they said, it's a little bit rough, but at least it's open. And I mean, it's, it's not too bad. It's definitely a single file road. Um, lots, of lots of kind of schluff and, and whatnot, like lots of bouldery snow, but it's still drivable. So I was kind of thinking I was going to end up kind of camping at that turnout for the night. So the fact that we're moving again is quite good news. So it looks like I should hit Terrace before seven o'clock, which still gives me plenty of time to get in a good meal and have a good sleep. So was a bit sketched out for a minute, but it's all turned out well. Okay, so I am currently laying in my tent at the end of the first day. And I figured it was time for an update because the last time I spoke to you guys was after I'd kind of cleared that avalanche area and made it into Stewart last night. Stewart's a bit of a trip, man. Only two things were open in town. The hotel where I'd booked a room and a little kind of cafe burger pizza type joint, the Silverado Cafe. So I checked into the hotel. I'm pretty sure I was the only dude staying in the hotel. Like they had, it's an old school hotel. Like, I don't know, same carpet as like the shining. It was super weird. Um, but it's kind of like a combo pub hotel type deal, the King Edward. And then across the road, they've got motel units and there was a bunch of barge workers staying there, but I didn't see a single other person on my side, like in the hotel part. So it had a, it had a pretty weird vibe to it. So I got checked in there, went to the Silverado cafe, picked up a pizza, um, and a couple drinks. Cause yeah, that was the only thing that was open. Went back to my room, kinda, you know, spent an hour or two getting everything ready for the next morning. And then, uh, yeah, watched a bit of TV, ate my pizza, kind of sent my last texts and updates because I was leaving pretty early in the morning and went to bed. I woke up, I went to make a cup of coffee with my um, little stove, ended up setting the fire alarm off. It didn't like, it just set the smoke alarm in my room off. It didn't like set it off for the hotel. I was able to get it under control, but... I was like, how would that be to start a fucking hunt, get the fire department and Stuart come to my hotel room. Anyways, got that all sorted out, got the truck packed up and this is where it gets interesting. So I thought it was interesting on my way into town that I hadn't, there was a road that I was looking for, um, that I couldn't find on the way into town, uh, like after that avalanche spot. And I was like, Hmm, that's weird. So I, when I drove back that way in the morning, I was like, yeah, maybe it was dark. I don't know who knows. 
and yeah, I, I get to where the road should be and it's just, yeah, nobody's plowed anything and it's kind of buried in. And the road is so small, it's not like you can park on the side of the road, like you get hit by a fucking snowplow. So I kind of tripped out for a minute. I was like, what am I supposed to do? But then, I don't know, maybe three quarters of a mile up the road, there was like a big turnout that had been cleared by the highway guys, probably where they turn the snow plows around and stuff. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm parking here. So I parked there, wrote a big note. I'm praying to God they don't tow my truck or it doesn't get snowed in. Either way, didn't have a choice, so left the truck there, packed up and started to head in. Walked down the road, was nice and cruisy. The weather was like kind of decent this morning. And then as soon as I started walking through the snow, when I got to the, to the snowed in road, I was just like, oh, fucking shoot me. Um, I had to walk, I don't know, maybe 30 meters just through it before I could actually get to a flat spot to put my snowshoes on. So hiked in there, got the snowshoes on and started walking in. And I was surprised, I float really well on these snowshoes. I used to wear tubs for layout work and they didn't really do shit for me, but they are not super long either. These ones, I'm trying to remember how long they are. They're either 32 or 34 inches. And then I got a six inch tail that I put on them. So like they're really long, they're MSR lightning ascents. So yeah, that's all cruisy hiking for maybe an hour weather's kind of decent just in a single top like a base layer no problems and then and then the rain starts to come and i'm like oh shit yeah so put the rain jacket on kept cruising on i'm trying to think i'm trying to remember what time it was everything was all good until like maybe 10 o'clock and then i just hit this wall man i just got bluffed out it was a big learning lesson for me because I kept my pack on it. My pack is 70 pounds and a 70 pound pack with snowshoes when you're on like a flat trail is like a pretty doable ordeal. But like the moment you go off of some kind of trail and you're like walking up hills or down hills or over boulders across routes, or like it's just a fucking nightmare. Uh, so I basically stumbled around with my pack on for like 45 minutes trying to figure out which way to go. Couldn't figure out anything. And then I, I'd, I tried to get up and over and wore my pack. And then I would like dump my pack, go 100 meters forward, realize it was a no-go, go back and get my pack, go back a different way with my pack and like do the same thing over again. And then it finally, and here's the thing. The reason this is an issue for me is that I can't stand like inefficiencies or wasting time. So like the concept of walking somewhere without my pack and then having to go get my pack initially, I just, I couldn't even comprehend that. Like I'm just, fuck it. I'll just muscle through it. And then I realized I was wasting more time because I was trying out these different routes with my pack on and, and they were all dead ending and I'd be better off to just do a shitload of recce without my pack, figure out what was going on and then go get my pack. And I was starting to stress out this whole time. Like I wasn't even that deep in, I was like two miles in, kind of nowhere near goats yet. And I was like, is this thing shut down already? Like, did I, did I fucking fuck up on day one and I'm gonna have to go back to town and like figure out some other area to hunt. So like that was, I was getting a little bit stressed out. And then once I thought to myself, 
oh, I kind of see how this hunt is going to go now. I'm going to go recce an area with no pack on because the side benefit is you're also busting trail. And like there's a shitload of snow back here and going through like virgin snow with the pack on is also really difficult. But if I go bus trail with no pack and then go back and get the pack, it's definitely easier. So once I was able to like kind of flip that switch and realize, oh, hey, this is the more efficient way to approach this, the kind of stress lessened. And at the same time, I was able to basically... So here's what was happening. I was on this trail. I had a river to my right and I had a bluff to my left. And I kept trying to go like up over the bluff or down beside the river. And I kept getting pinched out everywhere I went and I couldn't find a way across the river. But then finally, I don't know how it really happened. I just went back and forth a bunch of times. I did find it was like a bit of a jump and it kind of elevated like sketchy for sure, but I was able to do it. And I found my way across the river with no pack, but I was looking at the jump and I'm like, mm, I can't do that with a pack. So I'm going to have to figure out something to do here. But anyways, I, I was like, okay, one problem solved. At least I got on the other side. So then I was like, I'm going to walk like a good half to three quarters of a mile down this river and see if I can cross back over. If I can get that far down the river and cross back over, then that's enough kind of new ground to warrant going back and getting the pack. So I walk all the way up the river, opens right up, like pretty cruisy walking. It's still kind of difficult because the snow, but, but, but psychologically it was a big break because I could just see the ground in front of me and I'm like, all right, you're clear for a mile. It was, so that was super sweet. So I was able to get up the river. I was able to cross back onto the side that I wanted to be on walk like another 50 yards, could see another half mile up the riverbed. So I'm like, okay, golden. So go all the way back and the whole way back, I'm like, I need to figure out a way to get across this, this big jump part with the pack. And I'm like, I wonder if I can throw the pack. I don't really mind it hitting the snow, but I was like, I don't even know if I'm physically capable of like throwing that pack that three or four feet across this little section of river. But when I'd done the crossing the first time, I'd found this dead tree that was kind of standing up and pinched between two logs and it was it felt impossibly large to actually pick up but it was wiggling so i thought i had a chance and i thought to myself if i could get that dead tree out of the ground and kind of flip it caber toss style over it would give me a, basically enough of a bridge that i could just put one foot onto the log and then kind of do a big step over to the other side so anyways, long story short, I was able to physically do that. So, and it's kind of funny because people gave me shit because I put on all this weight to do this bodybuilding competition. People were like, oh, it's going to make hiking more difficult. And it does to a certain degree. Um, but I'm also a lot stronger and there's no way I would have been physically capable of moving that log like that, you know, a year and a half or two years ago. It was, yeah, it was kind of the upper limit of my capabilities for sure. So I get this log, I flip it back over the thing. I set up this mini bridge, go get the pack and start walking back with the pack, get over the bridge. And by this time, it's probably 3.30. Like it's essentially taken me almost five hours. I have covered, I have moved zero ground at this point. Like, but I now know how to get around. So it's 3.30. I start working my way up the side of the river and I'm, it kind of all 
kind of crashes down. Like it, like the tiredness kind of hits me like a wall and I realize, yeah, I'm going to be able to maybe go another mile, a mile and a half up this Creek. And then that's about it. Like I'm just, I'm wasted. It's day one. I still got six more days. Um, so that's exactly what I did. I went maybe another mile up the river, found a nice flat spot, kind of dumped my gear and then wreckied. So the same, same kind of philosophy. I kind of wreckied maybe a quarter mile up the river, got to a point where I could see around the bend. I could see another quarter mile. I'm like, okay, no problem. I've got ground to cover in the morning. I can get at least another half mile up this thing and probably much further than that. Also, there's some like kind of decent bluffs that I can glass right from where my tent is right now. And also when I did do that recce at the very end of the day, the fog lifted for a bit and there's this huge basin at kind of, I don't know, maybe another mile and a half down the river, like just gigantic that I could see off in the distance that looked like super goat country. So that got me really excited. And I forgot to mention, I did just say something about the fog. I mean, it has basically been puking snow or raining or hardcore foggy basically all day, except for that first hour. And even then it was still foggy. So I haven't really been able to see shit. I catch little glimpses of the walls of the canyons that I'm kind of run up out of the drainage that I'm currently in, but that's really about all I'm, about all I'm getting. From a psychological perspective, I, except for that little stress out situation I had, you know, when what was tripping me out was like, are you telling me I'm not even going to get a chance to get started and I'm going to have to turn around? Like, yeah, I was really having problems processing that. It was, yeah, it was getting to me. It was getting into my head. Other than that, things have been pretty good. I feel good. I'm tired. I'm physically tired and some weird shit is sore. Like my hip flexors are really sore. Um, but other than that, I feel good. Probably didn't drink enough water today, but I'm going to try and smash a couple liters before bed, which also is maybe not a great idea because I'm going to have to piss in the middle of the night. Pro tip, take a piss bottle into your tent because nobody wants to get out of a nice warm tent in the middle of the night to take a piss. So I just roll over and piss into a bottle and deal with it in the morning. Yeah. So I think that's about it for tonight. I'll try and do kind of more frequent updates tomorrow, kind of as the day goes on, maybe when I stop for lunch. Because I got so stressed out in the middle of the day, I didn't really want to stop and take time to do anything. So I just kind of wanted to figure the situation out first. But anyways, we're in here, we're hunting. No goats yet, but there's always tomorrow. All right, it is the end of the second full day in the mountains. I know I said I was going to try and do more updates during the day. Just didn't happen. Um, and excuse me if I kind of seem incoherent or rambling at the moment. I'm utterly physically exhausted and I'm going to do the best I can to form full and complete sentences, but it just might not happen, but I'll try and kind of detail the day. This is easily the most physically demanding hunt I've ever done in my life. There's been elements of other hunts that are, that are more difficult. Like when you're 
chasing elk in the rut. It's almost like there's a sprint element to it sometimes that I suppose is kind of more difficult than this. And I've been in the blacktail woods where the vegetation is really thick. And I think there's an element of, of that that might also be kind of more challenging than this, but just like pure horsepower, pure physical output, this has got to be the most demanding hunt I've ever done. It was interesting, before this hunt, I decided not to bring my Apple Watch. Normally I bring my Apple Watch because I'm sadistic and I like to keep track of of how many calories I'm burning all day and I just find it interesting. But I switched to wearing a Whoop uh, back at Christmas time and I'm like, oh, it'll be better, it's a little bit lighter, the batteries last longer, it's a little more accurate. And the fucking thing doesn't work if you're not connected to the internet. Like what kind of horse shit is that? I mean, you're connected to my watch, I don't understand why you also need to be connected to the internet in order to like, just tell me how many calories I'm, I'm burning. It's really disappointing. Now, one thing to note is that I've gone, I've lost contact with the Whoop band before for, you know, an extended period of time. And when it reconnected, it did process all the data. Like, I think it stores it on the phone and then processes it once it has a chance to like check in with whatever server it's checking in with. But it pisses me off because like the whole point is so that you can keep keep track, you know, during the day. Anyways, it's not like it's necessary, but it would have been nice to be able to kind of quantify my output over the last two days because otherwise it's just subjective and it's me just whining like a bitch. Anyways, it's fucking hard. And I broke a snowshoe today. Well, I didn't break it, but I, I bent it severely and then I, when I got to camp tonight I looked at the other one and it's also kind of going so I'm a little bit nervous because I'm pretty far back in here and if I oh god I don't even want to talk about it if I break one of those snowshoes I'm fucked um I just that's so funny I never thought about breaking a snowshoe you know we use snowshoes for years doing layout in the interior but I think they were beefier. We always used tubs and I, I don't think they're known for being low weight, but man, those things were tanks. Like you could just beat the shit out of them. I almost think for this backcountry stuff, you're better off with something like that because these MSR Lightning, now in all fairness, my body weight plus the pack weight is 330 pounds. I don't think the snowshoes were designed for like an angry, aggressive, 330 pound man trying to go kill a goat. So maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on MSR. Anyways, the reason I bring all this up is that I had an interesting epiphany today and I used to think it was like time and distance were the predictable variables that would kind of create psychological strain. Let me, let, me, let me go into that a little bit further. I used to think the amount of time I was away from home and the distance I was from home kind of compounded 
And then after a while, you'd, you know, start to feel a little bit lonely and you'd start that psychological challenge would kind of set in. I'm changing my mind on this. I think those play a role, but I think physical exhaustion is a far more powerful variable for like kind of psychological challenge or creating a, an unfavorable state of mind. I remember hearing one time that like each arm of the armed forces, like the army, the Navy, the air force, they all have a different method of kind of training their guys. And I forget which one of them, but one of them uses sleep deprivation. I think it's the army because the Navy uses cold water, but there's like all these base things that you can do to a human being to like break them down. And they use physical exhaustion and, and sleep deprivation to basically, yeah, break you down as a human being. And that, it really hit today. Like, it really hit today. Like, I'm, it's only my second day in here. I shouldn't have any negative thoughts whatsoever. But around, I stood up after a quick break that I took at three o'clock. I thought I was kind of feeling okay. And I looked down and I saw the bent snowshoe and it was like the end of the world. Like it was, I overreacted kind of emotionally and psychologically to such a degree. And that's not typically the way I respond to things. It wasn't like I did anything. I didn't have a tantrum or throw anything, but just the impact of it psychologically, I was just like, I just started to feel this intense sense of dread. Like I'd planned so long to come back in here. I thought I did everything right. I thought I had enough spare everything. And then to think that some stupid thing like a snowshoe would take me out, it was just devastating. And here's the thing, it's not really devastating. Even if the snowshoe did take me out, so be it, it's not the end of the world. But because I was just so physically exhausted, I just didn't have the wherewithal to process it the way it should be processed or the way it deserved to be processed. I made it into this like big thing and I started imagining myself hiking out, feeling like a failure, having to tell everybody, yeah, my snowshoe broke so I'm home early. And then like, I'm the type of guy, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, you're full of shit. You just wanted to come home. So I start thinking that, and it's just like, it's just this cascading of, of thoughts, just one into another into another. And the podcast has kind of helped me actually, because I've kind of dove into this topic before about your mind not being your best friend on a solo hunt. Here's the thing. If you had a buddy here, you just talk about it for five minutes, you shake it off and you move on. There's nobody here. There's nobody here at all. It's just me and my mind. And because I'd talked about it on the podcast, it was kind of right there, front and center in my mind. Oh, I got a cramp. Oh. Because I talked about it so recently on the podcast, it was right there in my mind. And I was very self-aware. I was like this kind of conscious observer. And I'm listening to myself in my mind kind of walk through this like negative chain reaction. And I'm saying to myself, Basically give myself permission. It's like, it's okay. If you want to overreact, overreact. But no matter what, you keep going forward. And then I would have another thought. No problem. 
have it. It's yours. Be negative. Just keep moving forward. And it was like, instead of trying to talk myself out of it, I just kind of accepted it and just kept moving forward. And I am, and I did start to construct like a tactical kind of strategy surrounding the snowshoes because clearly I have to do something like I can't continue on the way that I am because like the snowshoes won't make it through another day like that. So I'm deep enough now and I'm kind of at a confluence of two major drainages that I'm going to set up camp here for a few days. I think it's primarily the extra weight from the pack. Like having that extra 70 pounds on my back is just, it's too much for the snowshoes to handle. Like I feel so much lighter on my feet when I just go and do these little reckies. So I'm going to set up camp here and I'm going to kind of base out of here and I'm going to day hunt from here. And I'm going to slow down a little bit because not that I've been covering some insane amount of ground. I mean, for fuck's sakes, I'm about halfway as far into this drainage as I thought I would be by the end of day two. Like it's shocking how long it takes to get places. It's not only how long it takes to walk in snow this deep with a pack that heavy and snowshoes on. It's that you'll be walking, 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 and then you get bluffed out. At the, basically I'm walking up a riverbed, like a snowed over riverbed, but the river's not frozen, it's raging. So I'll stick to one side and I'll walk far and then I get bluffed out. And because the snow is so deep, it's not like you can just go up into the timber and go around. And lots of times there's bluffs, like it's just physically not an option. And at that point, I have to backtrack sometimes hundreds of meters to half a kilometer to find the last realistic place where I can cross the river. And then I keep going on that side. And it's basically like just playing leapfrog and I keep going back and forth, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And so that's another kind of primary mechanism that's, that's slowing my overall progression. And I don't want any of this to come off as like complaining. I fucking love this. Even when I hate it, I love it. I want to see what I'm capable of. And I'm like, I'm not even anywhere close to breaking at this point. I'm just getting warmed up. But I want to be very detailed about it because a lot of people asked me when I said I was going to do this kind of semi-life podcast, they wanted to kind of a look inside the psyche of, of what it's like when we're back here. So I'm just trying to be as descriptive as possible, but don't, don't get things twisted. I'm not complaining. I feel very lucky that I live a life where I can come do this kind of shit um, for my hobby. So anyways, that's kind of like a, a state of the union as far as like where I'm at in my head and the kind of thoughts that went on today. But there is some good news. I found some fucking goats. So let me back up and kind of talk about the day. Um, woke up this morning. I wouldn't say I got her to bed at the crack of dawn, but like... <sighs> I wouldn't say I got her to bed at the crack of dawn, but it's not like deer or elk where you have this like morning advantage. And I was still so far from an area where I thought I was going to glass goats. It really didn't matter. But I think by like 8 AM I had camp packed up on my back and I was moving back up the river. It also takes a bit to pack up camp because you're bringing lots of weird shit because it's so wet and cold. It's not like a super lightweight camp like you would do for 
you know, an archery elk hunt or something. So anyways, moving up the drainage and I think I made it it was the second place I stopped. I think I had a bit of a, I think I stopped and had some coffee and a snack at 1030. And then I stopped again and had a bit of a snack at noon. And it was the noon one when I could finally see that big crazy basin that I was talking about last night. Like it's not even a basin. It's the side of a fucking mountain. Like put it in context. The river that I'm walking up is at about 800 feet above sea level and the top of the mountain that I'm looking at is like somewhere between 8,400 and 9,500 feet. So I'm looking straight up like a 10,000 foot face, like, and it's right at the end of the river. Like it's fucking crazy looking. And so I break out the spotter and I'm like kind of glassing the lower stuff thinking, you know, maybe there's something down there, glass and glass and nothing, nothing, nothing. And the whole top half of this mountain was kind of clouded over. In fact, I didn't even know it was there. In fact, I didn't even know it was there. I thought it just kind of stopped and the sky was white. And then all of a sudden the clouds broke and there's the rest of this mountain. And I'm like, holy shit. And I don't know why it happens like this sometimes glassing. It's like, you'll be glassing for so long and be thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder if they're there and I'm just missing them. Like, how are they gonna, are they gonna stand out? Am I actually gonna be able to see one when it's there? This is with anything. But I think we almost overthink it and don't give ourselves enough credit because the minute my eye sees an animal, it's like so plain as day. I'm like, I couldn't miss that if I tried. So I, I think it all depends too on the type of animal. That's what happened today. There was this bluff like way up at the top. Like there's, I'm physically incapable of getting up there. You'd need a helicopter to drop you off. I don't even think you can walk up to the top of the thing. It's crazy. Um, and it's all like just snow and windswept rocks. Like the tree line is probably 4,000 feet below where these goats are. Like it's madness. But yeah, I lift the spotter up and boom, there's a goat. Right where you always see pictures of goats. Like right at the base of like a, a bluffy cliff type thing. And then like, all, once my eyes get accustomed, I'm like, oh, there's a goat, there's a goat, there's a goat. And it's like nine goats all chilling out at the base of this thing. So I grab from some phone scope footage, take a couple pictures and I'm just staring at these goats. And it was like, it was such a moment. Cause when you go on a hunt like this, where you're going to this place where you've never been, um, there's so many opportunities for it to fail. Like you could just get things wrong. Like there's no guarantees. It's not like going to a place where you've been before. It's like, I know there's animals there. There's still variables as to whether or not I can actually kill one, but I do know that they're there. When you come and do these hunts in places where you've never been before, it's not like that. You're like, okay, killing an animal isn't even really on the menu yet. First, we need to find the animals. And before that, we need to ascertain if there's even any animals there. And I mean, I've been in here for two days so far and I hadn't seen a track. I hadn't seen, like, I saw rabbit tracks today for the first time. Like there, the snow is so deep back here. There is just fucking nothing. And so when I saw those goats, oh my God, like it was just such a, like, it was like a rush. I had to text my buddy Lander. I'm like, I found some fucking goats. I'm like, they're on the top of a mountain and I can't go kill them, but I don't care. I found some fucking goats. And it was just like, even if that's all that happens and I, I'm not, not giving up or anything, but 
and I don't want to say that's enough, but it's like, that is part of this. Like you picked a spot, you looked on a map and you, you were right for whatever kind of rationale you used or, or thing, you know, you were able to ascertain where this animal probably was. Now, listen, this is not a gigantic unit and it's known for having lots of goats. So I'm kind of overselling this. Like most people would be like, yeah, of course there's fucking goats there. There's goats everywhere there. And that's all well and good. It doesn't change how good it feels to be proven right that yes, there are goats here. So that being said, I, I continued up the drainage for the rest of the day, stopping every hour, hour and a half to have a little glass. stopping every hour, hour and a half to have a little glass. I'm starting to see more kind of goaty areas pop up. I haven't seen any more goats. I lost the ones I found just because, you know, the curve of the river and now I'm getting closer to the base of the mountain. So I just, I don't have the perspective of being far enough back to see where they were. I can't really see them moving anywhere where I'd be able to make a play on them anyways. I'm, I'm certain I'm gonna have to find other goats but other than that, other than breaking the snowshoes and finding the goats, let's say bending the snowshoes. I don't want to be hyperbolic. Other than bending the snowshoes and finding the goats and recognizing that being super tired makes me a bit of an emotional train wreck. The day was pretty, you know, standard as far as like a, a backcountry hunt day goes. A large part of this, of this hunt is a big experiment for me. I have never gone this far back for this long in the middle of winter anywhere before. Certainly not, you know, this type of crazy snow conditions and, and all the rest of it. So there's, there's an element of like, that's part of this challenge as well. Just, just seeing if I'm capable of that in addition to, you know, killing a goat while I'm back here. All right, I think that covers about everything for today. Again, super smoked from the day, so apologies if, if I ranted or went on any particularly uninteresting tangents. I will you know, try and do my best to keep things topical and, and focused. I'm finding this a very interesting experience. Again, like I said in an update a few days ago, I, it could sound like shit and nobody ever wants to listen to one of these things again, but I am actually enjoying the process of kind of putting my thoughts down and recording them while doing a hunt. It's different than the filming because the filming is very like real time. Like it's, it's dynamic and it's almost interruptive. Like I have to stop what I'm doing all the time to remember to film or take pictures or get content or talk to the camera. And it kind of like, I don't want to say it wrecks the experience, but it's like another layer to it that it kind of, it changes it a little bit. I'll say that. I'm not going to say it makes it worse, but it definitely changes it from like just hunting. Whereas I feel like this does so to a much lesser degree. I'm still kind of thinking about what I might say later on in the, in the day, but it doesn't actually change any of my behaviors or cause me to, you know, wait or, or take some action Otherwise, I just, you know, wait till the end of the day and then turn the recorder on and start talking. So I've got the solo set back up. I'm all crawled in right now. 
Um, it's pretty cozy in here, a little too cramped for my liking. Um, I wonder if I would go for a more spacious tent that wasn't quite as durable. Cause I just don't, I can't carry anything heavier. Um, the small footprint is quite nice though, too, especially with the snow. Cause you kind of have to make a flat spot and it can be quite challenging to do that for a gigantic area, but the solo is all set up. Everything's ready to go. I already had my dinner. And now that the podcast is done, I'm probably going to take a leak, eat a protein bar for dessert and head to bed. So I will try and do more updates tomorrow. I may fail, but I'll try until then. All right. It's been a little while since our last update. I forgot to take the recorder with me yesterday, so I didn't do anything during the day that I was so duked. When I got back last night, I didn't even record anything then. In fact, I just completely forgot. So it's pretty early on the morning of the fourth day in the woods. I think today is Thursday. Yep. Um, too early to get up yet. Still pitch black, but I couldn't really sleep anymore. Um, so I decided I would give this little update. Okay. So what, what, what happened yesterday? So made good progress yesterday. Essentially I broke about three miles of new trail and made it all the way to the kind of head of this glacier. I don't know what it's called. I should look into more of that stuff. I rarely know like the names of the mountains and stuff that I'm looking at. It would be nice. It would also help give some context but anyways it was crazy looking there was this like weird kind of blue frozen lake thing that i could see it was still a couple miles away so i couldn't see it closely but it was gigantic and way up in the hills and essentially this big drainage that I've been walking up this whole time basically comes to an end. It, you, you get to it and it opens out into this gigantic kind of flats. Like um, there's a word for this. I remember from my engineering days that I can't remember what it is. But anyways, clearly this is where, you know, major flooding happens maybe a couple times a year, or, you know, every couple of years. And it's just this you know, mile and a half, two mile long, half mile wide, just flat white expanse. And then rising up in a complete, you know, circle around it, you know, rising up in a, in a complete crescent around it, kind of like a gigantic amphitheater is mountains on, on all sides. Um, and just gigantic in proportion looked like really good goat country could be really good goat country i sat down um i glassed pretty extensively didn't see anything um it was also a little concerning that i couldn't really see how i was going to get up into the the steaver stuff that i thought looked a little more goaty anyways now the original game plan was to wake up again this morning so it took me approximately six hours to break that trail. 
and it took me two hours to walk it back. So my goal was to get back to that spot today and then either break some more trail or sit there um, and look for goats. I'm having some second guesses about that plan right now. My snowshoes continually, my snowshoes continue to get worse. Um, the one is really bad and I'm concerned about going that far away from camp and, and being that far away from the truck and then something going wrong with one of those snowshoes. Also, I wasn't super impressed with the country that I saw. Like I'm looking for more cliffy stuff that is still has some access and I'm seeing goat country, but it's like four to 5,000 feet straight up these kind of vertical snow covered cliffs. Like there's just, it'd be an expedition just to get all the way up there. Like there's, yeah, it's, it would be physically impossible for me by myself with the gear that I currently have. That's for sure. So being that I wasn't completely sold on it, I'm still not sure exactly what I'm going to do today. I basically have two more hunting days today and tomorrow. And then the goal is to hike out on Saturday, pretty reasonable amount of snow called for today and tomorrow. It puked snow yesterday afternoon. It was just wild. Um, but I think it's like an inch today and an inch tomorrow. So that's very huntable weather. And then it's supposed to just start dumping again on Saturday. So I want to be walking my ass out of here on Saturday. Now there is a bunch of cool little like kind of canyony areas that aren't too far from camp. And it's not like a big gold mine where I can just get to one spot and like glass a shitload of country. But I'm thinking what I could do is kind of make a shorter circuit. And there's also another uh, kind of tributary that pours into this main drainage that has kind of been on my radar ever since I kind of east started e-scouting this area. That has been on my radar ever since I started e-scouting this area. So I may try and walk up that a little bit as well. Um, yeah, so that's the general game plan. Yesterday was nice. I got to have camp set up. I got to hike around with a regular pack on my back and I didn't have to beat the hell out of myself with that 70 pound pack, which I just realized I'm also carrying, you know, like a seven or eight pound rifle on top of the 70 pound pack. So I'm upwards of, you know, 77, 78 pounds on my back when it's full, which sucks terribly. Anyways, that was nice. And I'm just, I'm kind of hitting my stride in the hunt. Like now is the time when you just kind of like shut up and do the work. Like there's not really a lot to consider. I'm kind of limited to the amount of terrain I have at my disposal, just because of how steep and inaccessible it is. And I just got to cover as much ground as I can, glass as much as I can, and hope I turn up a goat. There was a part of me that was considering pulling out a day or two early, just because I'm a little disappointed. I thought there was going to be some more accessible terrain back in here and there, there just isn't. Um, but then I don't know the area outside of Stewart at all. So I, cause the idea was to spend the last, you know, couple days trying to find some other areas to hunt or other areas to glass from. And I don't really have any other hotspots to go to. So I think I'm better off just staying put 
And at least there's a chance I come across a goat back here. So yeah, day four, here we go. All right, it is the afternoon of day four and I am stuck in the tent because of snow and fog. It's not the most uplifting of updates. This is the point in the hunt when you start to second guess every single thing that you did leading up to the hunt. And you basically just run a train on yourself. And it's like, I'm a shitty hunter. I don't know what I'm doing. What the fuck was I thinking? Why can't I have normal hobbies like regular people? Like, it's just brutal. I basically just beat the shit out of myself. Because I figure it doesn't matter how much of this is out of my control. If I'd have done better at the things that are in my control, I'd be having more success. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. And maybe I'll get better at this, but the goal is to come out here and kill an animal. That's why it's called hunting. It's not camping. It's not hiking. It's hunting. And so when I come on one of these trips and I don't kill an animal, I take it really hard. Not, I try and put a positive spin on it, like not to not take responsibility for it, but there's no point in just beating yourself up. That's not going to get you anywhere. But I try and be as honest with myself as I can about kind of what went, ha what went down, what my responsibility was in that basically I try and see what I can learn from the situation so that it doesn't happen again while still taking responsibility for the fact that I failed now don't get me wrong this is day four we're not done yet I want to just a minute I was I found myself talking there like I had already failed so I'm kind of talking in the past tense about how I've approached other hunts that I've failed because I tend to try and go over those when I'm in this situation to kind of give my, give myself like a little, a little pick me up, if you will. But you know, this is when I start to wonder, did I plan this right? And, and there's a couple different versions of right. So let me, let's unpack that a little bit. If, like I said, the ultimate goal is to kill something. Why didn't I have a backup plan? Because I've come in this drainage. I've worked the entirety of the drainage that I can, that's accessible. I've seen one group of goats and that was on day two and they were on the top of the mountain, completely unreachable. No, under normal circumstances, after being in here for four days, covering ground the way I have, glass in the way I have, I'd be like, okay, scratch this area off the map. Head back to the truck and go somewhere else. But I find myself unable to do that right now because the kind of secondary goal of this trip was, you know, kind of testing myself as far as like, how long I could go on a solo deep winter hunt for. And it's already four days. This is the longest 
deep winter hunt I've ever done solo. So I've already set that, but I feel like even though from a hunting perspective, the thing that makes the most sense to do is pull out right now, I can't do it. Like I'm not, I'm not leaving until it's time to go to that truck and drive home. Even if it's dumb to stay in here, I don't fucking care. But here's why I kind of don't have a choice. I kind of had this like burn the boats approach to this hunt. I didn't scout anywhere else. I don't even know where else I could go. There's also snow on the way Saturday. So I could literally spend all day hiking out Friday and then it could dump so horrendously Saturday that I couldn't even glass. And then that's it. Hunt's over and I just wasted my Saturday. So that's a big deal as well. Plus, even if I get out of here, I, have, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where any other access points are. I don't know where any other hike-in points are. Like I was so fixated on this one drainage and coming all, it just seemed so different in my head. Like I thought, yeah, I thought there was going to be more opportunity and more area. When you get in here, there's really not that much in this particular drainage kind of accessible ground. Um, the snowshoe thing is really kind of a pain in my ass because I want to be more aggressive and I want to get up in the trees, but I'm just super worried that I'm going to break those snowshoes and be hooped way back in here. Now, if I see a goat, I'm, I'm going in, but I need like a really big reason to go in and start fucking around with those bluffs and I just don't see it yet. So yeah, here I am. So I basically have one more hunting day tomorrow and then I have Saturday to hike out, drive partway home Saturday night and drive the rest of the way home Sunday. There's a slim chance the fog and snow might lift this afternoon and I could go get maybe another hour of glassing in. I had a pretty good game plan at the start of the day. I decided I was going to try and work up this other drainage, but real slow. There was a lot of kind of fresh snow and there's a few lower kind of opening bluffy parts that I can glass that are pretty accessible from the bottom of the drainage. And my goal was to do almost a still hunt through the bottom of the drainage and glass up into these little openings and, you know, maybe spot something and, and hopefully make a play. And it, it worked okay for the first hour, but then I just kind of got choked out by, by the steepness of the, of the drainage and some vegetation and some other stuff. And yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. Lots of new snow too. So the snowshoeing has definitely not gotten any easier as the trip has gone on. So then basically I backed out into the main drainage and kind of backtracked most of my trail yesterday and just kind of glassed as I went. And then around, I don't know, 1.30, 2 o'clock, the snow and the fog just set in and then that's it. We haven't, I haven't, haven't seen shit for the rest of the day. It's just like a wall out there. You can see on the bottom okay, but as soon as you get, you know, 50 or 100 meters up any of the side hills, it just turns into like a gray white mess. Yeah, I'm kind of going over in my head to what tomorrow's, tomorrow is the last hunting day. I got to make the most out of it that I can. In the same breath, a lot of my strategy 
has been around the fact that I've been going to areas thinking if I glass a goat, then I can take a day, the next day to get all the way up and take a shot at the goat. I don't have that option tomorrow. I need to find a goat in a place where I can actually make a play on it that day. So that does limit kind of the areas of interest to me a little bit, at least. Because there's no point looking at any of the big stuff because I'll never have enough time, you know, to get up, to get up that high. So that kind of makes my decision for me. Yeah, so I'm basically going to do a big loop tomorrow and just go look at all the areas that I think are, are decent. And there's even some decent areas back the way I came up the drainage, like back down the drainage, that I might walk part of the way, even though that's the way out, and because it would help break trail, because it's snowed a lot since I came in, and would speed up my hike out on Saturday. So that would be beneficial as well. So I might do a little bit of that. That's about it for today. I just wanted to kind of, that doubt is a bitch, man. Like you, I can't, every single decision that I made coming up into this hunt, I now remember. Like choosing this drainage over other ones and choosing how long I was going to go and what week I was going to go and all these things. And now I'm at the, I'm like, oh, did I make the right decision? And a bunch of snow just fell on the tent, scared the shit out of me. But yeah, you start second guessing every single decision that you've, that you've made. And I think it has the ability to paralyze me kind of, if I let it, cause you just sit there and analyze yourself to death. And at some point you just got to say, well, maybe I did make a wrong decision, but it doesn't really matter because this is the situation that I find myself in right now. And this is the situation that I got to deal with. So make the best of that situation and keep moving forward. And for the reasons I mentioned earlier, the fact that I don't even have a plan B and I did want to see how long I could go in one stretch in the winter. And that's the other thing. This is not that bad. Like, okay, I have been cold and wet for four straight days. That kind of sucks. There's a couple of things I would do differently gear wise next time that I'll get into in a later episode. But other than that, like this is a very doable hunt. In fact, I think one of my other mistakes was was not coming in for long enough. Now, I wouldn't have stayed in this drainage any longer than I already have. I would back out and I would go to some other drainage. But but again, only having one hunting day left by the time I hike out of here, that's not really enough time to go have a serious look at anything where goats would be. Although the funny thing is, some guy did text me on the way up here and he was like, yeah, we went in kind of the area where I was going in and it was shitty, so we turned around and came out and we glassed a goat from the hotel and, and shot it the next day. And I was just like, fuck. So it's funny. That is the other thing I should add here. Like, even more than just the solo kind of backcountry winter trip that it was supposed to be, it's also, it's not necessarily just killing a goat, but it's killing a goat the way I want to kill a goat. And that's, that's this way. And maybe it'll take me longer to do it this way. All right. I'm just rambling now. I'm going to see if the fog's lifted, maybe have a bite to eat and think some more about tomorrow's game plan. Well, it's now the evening of day five and to be more accurate, it is the morning 
of day six. That's about four o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. Um, I forgot to do my update when I got back to camp last night, which I'll get into why in a moment. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't sleep and it occurred to me that I forgot to do this. So I thought, well, there's no better time than now. Not sure how many of you spent a lot of nights sleeping in tents and in the backcountry, especially in the winter. But you don't exactly sleep straight through the night. I tend to get one to two hour sessions where I'll get a good sleep, then I wake up, might have a drink, might go take a leak, roll around a bit, then I'll go back to sleep, get another hour, maybe two, kind of rinse and repeat all night. It's rare that I just go to sleep and get, you know, six, seven, eight hours. I think part of it is the sleeping pads. Like, it's not like they're uncomfortable, but I think, you know, if you're laying on your side or, you know, your hips are digging in or whatever, I think part of you just gets sore and it just wakes you up. It's not like it's uncomfortable and I don't mind it. It's just makes for a bit of a long night sometimes because you don't get that, you know, close your eyes at 10 p.m. and open them at 6 a.m. Kind of a sensation like you would at home. What a roller coaster of a day yesterday was. I have not been able to kill a goat yet, so we'll get that out of the way, but definitely got into some action. So let's see. Woke up, fogged in like nobody's business. Couldn't see, you know, 40 yards from the tent. It was just a, just a wall of, of white fog and snow, I could hear the snow when I woke up. Like I mentioned before, I've got a real good spot set up here in the forest so I don't get hit too heavy, but I can still hear it falling around me. So that kind of threw a bit of a, a monkey wrench into the day because I kind of had this one plan, but kept checking every half an hour, kept being foggy. Said to myself, okay, no matter what, at 10 o'clock I'm getting out and I'm going hunting. Because the fog could break at any time and I don't want it to break while I'm in the tent. And then by the time I get ready, it's kind of rolled back in again. So I even ended up going, getting moving a little bit earlier than that. Let's say 9.45. Got up, still foggy, got everything prepared, kind of hit the trail. Goal was, same as yesterday, cover some ground that I'd covered before. Not the ground from the day before, but two days before that I'd only been through once. And this was more back in the direction that I'd come in from and kind of take the same approach almost like a still hunting just nice and slow glassing lots taking my time not in any rush the other the other side benefit of kind of wrecking some territory back towards the way I came is that I would be breaking trail for the way out because it had snowed so much since I came in you could see the kind of a light outline of my snowshoe prints on the ground, but they certainly weren't like a clean trail, that's for sure. So yeah, I decided to do that. Morning went pretty good, didn't really see anything interesting. Had a cup of coffee, took a break around 11.30 or 12 or something. And then I think it was about one o'clock. I'm walking and walking and walking, and then all of a sudden I see what looks like a trail is crossing my path, like a, like a track. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. 
and I go and look at it and it's, there's no real detail because it, it, it also started snowing quite hard, um, maybe an hour before. So it'd gone back to, it broke, you know, I left the tent at 9.30. I probably had visibility until 11.30. And then from 11.30 to 1.30 was just dumping snow and fog, couldn't see shit. So around one o'clock, an hour and a half into this kind of snow dump period is when I found this trail, this track. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I think this is a goat trail. Now, it was more to do with the spacing of the tracks than anything, because like I said, it had snowed so much, it wasn't like I could actually see the track itself. So it's kind of, I didn't get super excited because I mean, oh, it's not necessarily a goat. And I don't know the direction this was going because I can't see the actual prints. And no, who knows how long ago this was. This could have been two hours ago. It could have been two days ago. Although likely not two days ago, they would have been filled in even more, but... It certainly could have been the day before. So I'm like, okay, interesting. Take a point, keep walking along. And then maybe, I don't know, another 75 years later, the tracks pop back up. And this time they're paralleling my snowshoe tracks, like in my snowshoes, out of my snowshoes, in my snowshoes, out of my snowshoes. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So there's a goat literally walking my snowshoe trail. Who knows how long ago. It's still foggy at this point, so I can't see up into the bluffs in the surrounding area. So I'm just kind of, you know, covering ground, paying interest to the tracks and just seeing where they lead. And I know in about another five to 10 minutes walk, there's a good kind of hollow with a big tree over top where I can get out of the snow for a little while and maybe dry off. So I get that far. As I get to that tree, it, this, the sky just starts opening up. And maybe within five minutes, it's like blue skies. Now there's still fog moving in and out, but it's like small patchy fog. So I get myself a drink and I have a little snack and I lift my binoculars up and boom, there's a goat. I'm like, holy shit. It's exactly what I thought was going to happen. And let's just take a moment before I even get into the whole story, because it's like, I, don't, I kind of don't want to forget this part of it. It is amazing how much just a little bit of action like that can change the mood of a hunt. Like, it's been rough, man. What did I see? I saw a group of goats on day two, way up past Hell's Half Acre. Like, you'd need a helicopter to go after those goats. No chance. Other than that, I haven't seen another living creature. A couple birds maybe, but that's about it in the past four days. And so it gets real hard to kind of keep yourself motivated. And, and you just start doubting everything that you're doing because none of it is working. And it's really, it's just a shit spot to be. There's no, there's no need to describe it any further than that. It sucks. But then you find one, and one intentionally like this, like following the game plan that I laid out, boom, there's a goat. It just, yeah, it's validation that, okay, I'm not a complete idiot, and maybe I do kind of know what I'm doing out here. And that was reassuring, and it's just exciting. 
Now, that's all well and good, but it wasn't, you know, exactly a perfect situation. So first issue, I can't even range them because the fog is still so thick. But I'm trying to range stuff around and, you know, add. And I'm, the guy's at least 850 yards, let's say, at that point. Obviously, not a shot I'm willing to take. Number two, he's in a pretty crazy looking band of cliffs which at the moment from where I was standing, I couldn't say for sure whether or not I would actually be able to get up there and extricate the body. So I have a goat. I don't know if I can shoot him because he's too far away and I don't know if I can shoot him because I don't know if I can get the body out. On top of that, as I've got him in the spotting scope, he dekes into this like little crevice cave thing and just like disappears, he's gone. And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do. Now, and this is a lesson for, I wish I'd looked at the map earlier because it kind of all clicked into place. When I, when I looked at the map to, cause okay, so I wait about another half an hour. He doesn't come out. All right, so I'm finished my lunch and I decide I should, I should mark on the map where this, where this guy's located just so I don't lose it and so I take a bearing I laser the distance and yeah it's 800 of the yards go to put it in the map and realize because I'd taken a GPS point where the trail crossed it basically formed a triangle if you think of it like that so my point is out on the far end of the triangle and then the point at which the goat crossed my trail and the point at which the goat is now is kind of in a straight line and you draw a line from the two ends of that down to me and there's your triangle so he was much closer to where he had crossed the trail earlier than where i was i was kind of taking an, an angled shot back along the trail to get up to where he was so this was kind of invigorating because i thought well, if I can get back to where he crossed, that's going to put me in a much, you know, closer position. So I, I break down everything. I throw out my bag and I, I get humping back to, to where I think, a, you know, an advantageous position is going to be. And the fog is rolling in and rolling out this whole time. So I finally get back to a spot that looks better. I range it and it's like 650. Still a bit far for what? I'm comfortable with, but like we're getting to the point where this is actually maybe a play that's gonna happen. Now, I had him in the binoculars the whole walk over, but he's getting restless, he's moving around. Basically, this big fog cloud blows in, and I, I have a spotter on him at that point, didn't have the phone scope on, and he disappears back into this little cubby where he keeps hiding, where when he's in there, I can't see anything. Now, even that, I should say, was an assumption because the fog was so thick, I couldn't really see. And it was either he went up the rest of the hill in the fog or he was still hiding in the little cubby. So at this point, I break out the down jacket and the down mittens and I'm like, well, I'm in it for the long haul. And I just sat there, I uh, kept using my binos, kept using the spotter, and I was never able to see the goat again. So either... He's still in that little cubby and just didn't move or he went up and over the top of the fog. 
Now the nice part was when I finally packed up and headed out, I kind of came around the, the back side of the ridge that he was on and it was definitely fairly treacherous, but there was a reasonably safe path to get up to where he was. So now in my head, okay, I've got a spot to shoot from and I've got to go a way to go get the goat because I can kind of maneuver my position and probably knock off another 50 yards at that point. So that's kind of how the day wrapped up. It ended up getting so cold, I just kind of had to pack it up and, and head back to camp. Um, so I wasn't able to seal the deal, didn't even really get a shot off, but super exciting to have some action better than no action. And I feel I'm going to be walking pack, back past where he was tomorrow morning. And now I know where to shoot from and how to get up there. So there's a slim chance that I could have a play sometime tomorrow morning if he hasn't moved. So that's where we're at. That's the end of day five. It's probably four, four thirty now. I'm going to maybe try and sleep for another two hours, see if I can. And then basically pack up camp and head out. I should be able to make pretty decent time on the way back out, given how long it's taking me to traverse, you know, pre-broken trail. So I definitely have enough time to stop and do some glassing on the way. It's not a, a mad dash or anything like that. So I do still have a small chance tomorrow that we'll be able to fill this tag. So we'll see how she goes. Hey guys, quick interlude. This is Jay from the future, so to speak. I'm actually recording this as I edit this podcast back at home in the safe, warm, dry comforts of my office. And I just wanted a couple quick updates. I walked out the next day. It was very uneventful. It was so foggy and snowy that even when I got to that location where I had seen the goat the previous day, I, I couldn't even see the hillside, let alone the rocky crevice where he'd kind of gone in. So I really just humped it out. I was able to make it back to the truck in one long day. Um, so that was nice. Um, and I was able to do the drive all the way home without incidents, lots of snow, but safe and sound. Now, as far as the conclusion to this podcast, typically when I'm shooting the films, I like to do these conclusions on the drive home, normally even on the second day, because I've had a night to sleep and I've kind of marinated on the topics and like thought a little bit about how things went and I have a bit more perspective about the hunt. So that's exactly what I did in this instance. But first I did it for the film on camera in the truck and I, and I really liked the kind of wrap up video that I did and I realized I took out the microphone and I was about to kind of, I felt like repeat the exact same thing that I just said and it felt really inauthentic to kind of say the same thing twice. So what I'm actually gonna do is take the audio from like the last 10 minutes or whatever of the film and just insert it here. So you might hear me reference the film instead of the podcast. And I just, I wanted you to understand why I'm doing that. It just felt like a more authentic fix to me. It really gets my thoughts across on the conclusion of the hunt and the kind of takeaways and how I felt about everything in a kind of more sincere manner. So that's what I'm going to do. Here's the rest of the podcast and the conclusion of the 2021 winter solo goat hunt.
right, time for everybody's favorite part of the film, the introspective drive home, where I wax philosophical about my failings over the last week. I'm only, I'm only half kidding, actually. I do, I like this part. And I actually tend to think about this part during the hunt, like when things occur to me that I should probably bring that up or I should probably talk about it. I feel like it's my last chance to kind of have a say on, on how things went or share how I feel about how things went. So, elephant in the room, I did not kill a goat. And if you've watched any of my other content, you'll realize that I'm big on personal responsibility and on, on honesty about the purpose of why I go out there and do these things. So yes, my ultimate priority was to kill a goat and I failed to do so. That being said, I feel really good about how things went. The one decent opportunity I had was a direct result of the strategy that I'd planned and executed. I don't think there was a whole lot I could have done differently in that situation. Uh, sometimes you just need a little bit of luck and I, I didn't have any luck in that situation. Now, that being said, there was also a fairly important secondary purpose for this trip. And that was to test both myself and my gear in an extended winter backcountry situation. This is the longest I've ever gone solo in the backcountry in the middle of winter. And I, and I, and I made it and I'm happy about that because it was not an easy thing to do. It was difficult to plan for. It was difficult to execute. There was a whole bunch of things that made it difficult and I was able to pull it off. So I'm pretty happy with myself in that regard. And the other reason I bring that up is if that had not have been part of this trip and if it had been solely to kill a goat, then I would have likely pulled out after day three and gone and looked for another drainage or another area that potentially held more goats. But it was more important at that time to test myself and my gear for the continuous single trip as opposed to breaking it up with like a break at the truck or a hotel in the middle because that kind of changes the dynamic of everything. And I'm actually glad I stayed because it was on the second last day that I did see the goat that I wanted to kill. So yes, I failed to kill a goat, but I was also stay able to stay in the backcountry for my longest solo midwinter trip yet. So I'm gonna chalk that up as a win. Now, would I recommend this trip? That's a difficult question. For the average person, no, I wouldn't. You're probably not gonna enjoy it. It was pretty shitty from like an objective perspective. If you're the kind of person that gets off on testing your limits and seeing what you're, you're capable of and you don't mind being by yourself for extended periods of time, I think this is an interesting challenge. This was the hardest physical hunt I've ever had in my life, by far. And there was a bunch of different reasons for that. The weather, the snow primarily. Um, and I don't think you get that in a lot of other hunts. Like I was trying to think in the way home, because obviously uh, like I was trying to think on the way home, how many other true winter DIY hunts have I seen on YouTube? I don't even think there's that many. Like I, I, I can't think of a guy in snowshoes hunting right now. I'm sure they're up there, but it's not like elk hunting or mule deer hunting. Like 
these are generally enjoyable things to do, so clearly lots of guys want to do them. I also think it's a bit of survivorship bias in that it's way easier to film those things. It was very challenging to film this hunt, and I don't know if doing that on a production scale for a television show or a really high-end YouTube channel, that would be a very difficult thing to do. Um, but I also think it's because the snow and the weather make it such a challenging psychological hunt that like not just not a lot of people want to do it because now you're you're kind of doubling up on challenge you have the challenge of the hunt but you also have the challenge of just the terrain and just getting around and everything else so I, I, I think I would be very cautious about recommending this hunt to somebody you'd have to be very experienced and really know what you were getting into but I think there is a hell of a good time to be had. I've kind of alluded to this next point a couple of times during the hunt, but in your mind when you're preparing for these things, you think the hunt is going to be, like the challenge of the hunt is gonna be some big, sexy, grand gesture, like charging up the last 300 meters of a summit so that you can get a chance at a goat just before dark and your lungs are going to be burning and your 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 legs are on fire and everything hurts but you're pushing it and it's very dramatic and cinematic and it's like that shit's there every now and then but that's not the true challenge of the hunt the true challenge of the hunt is the grind of it all and that was especially apparent with this hunt like it just never ended. You were always mildly or severely uncomfortable. You're cold, wet, and tired, kind of from the moment you leave the truck. Like my pack with rifle weighed 81 pounds. From the first step in snowshoes with that 81 pounds on my back, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this, is, this could go really bad. Like your just legs are just instantly sore. So again, it's not the big, sexy, grand gesture challenge. It's this grind. And I think the more I do these things, the easier they get because I realize that's what it is. Like you just sink into it and you just accept the fact that, yeah, I'm just gonna be mildly to moderately uncomfortable for the next X amount of days. And if you can just accept that as part of your reality and then operate within it, it's like it doesn't even exist. It just becomes part of the background. It becomes part of the landscape. Oh, there's that mountain over there. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, that's a nice river. Oh, I'm cold. Like you note it, you appreciate it, and you move on. It doesn't impact your actual activity in a negative way. But I think it's a bit of a bit of a mind game to get yourself into that place where you're that okay with it. So the big question, would I do it again? Without hesitation, the answer is yes. On that hike out, all I wanted in the world was to get out of there. I, I was like angry, like just on that walk out because it's just yeah, so wet and so cold and so tired. I was just like, get my ass to the truck. And I'm not kidding. It wasn't two hours after I got to the truck. I was driving down the road and it was like, I don't know if anybody's ever quit smoking or quit drinking or quit anything and had like that, like almost nostalgic 
remorseful kind of sense of withdrawal, like a longing for something. Like you, you, you want it so bad, you you miss it. I wasn't two hours down the road, and that hit me like a wall. I was like, I just want to go back. There's something about the intensity back there, just you by yourself against the mountains and the elements. It's like kind of scary, kind of anxious, kind of invigorating, and it's so pure. Like I was remarking to myself on the drive home last night, I was like, it felt like I was in there for a year. Like I came out and I forgot about COVID. It hadn't even occurred to me that COVID was a thing. And I go to the gas station and there's this sign to wear masks and it like literally took me a half a second to process it. And I was like, oh right, there's a whole pandemic sweeping the globe right now that I had not even thought about. And it was like, I want back in there. I want that intensity. So that leads me to my final point. Another side benefit of this trip was testing kind of my gear, my endurance and a whole bunch of other stuff for a two week solo sheep hunt I'm gonna do this summer. That's kind of my next big hunt. We'll do some spring bear between now and then, but that's like a fun hunt. And everything, all my gear I took worked. My endurance was right up there. I think I've learned an 80 pound pack is about my limit. I feel very comfortable that I could be climbing mountains and setting up camp for sheep with an 80 pound pack on my back. And if I'm gonna go in two weeks solo, by the time you add up food and, and, and necessities and other stuff, like you just, especially because I'm filming my own stuff. If I wasn't filming my own stuff, I could bet you I could keep it down to 65 or 70. But by the time you throw in the cameras and the batteries, and the SD cards, and just all the various tripods and stuff you bring in, it's an extra 10 to 15 pounds to film. But anyways, I was able to learn a lot about what I was physically capable of and what my gear was physically capable of. And so I feel I'm extremely well prepared for the sheep hunt in a few months. And already I can feel myself longing for that like intense solitude. Like I wanna be climbing the mountains by myself, somewhat in fear for my life, not quite sure when the next time I'm gonna talk to someone is. I don't know how else to put it. It is an addictive sensation. Like. Yeah, there's just, there's nothing else like it. So, I don't know. That's all I got. I'm done. I got no more talking. Um, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my peaceful drive home, reminiscing about the hunt that I just had and already making plans for the next one I'm going to go on. Thank you very much for your time and attention. If there's anything I can do, let me know. If you want to engage with this content in any way, it's deeply appreciated. As always, you know how to get a hold of me. So, this is another one. Signing out.